Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Investor Lab, the auditory epicenter for passionate people seeking a life of freedom, choice, and abundance. And my name is Goose. My name is Gabby. Hey, Gabby. Hello, Goose. How are you? Oh, I'm good. What are we talking about in this one? Oh, my God. I, we, why don't you tell us what we talked about? Because I went off on one. I was like, I was you going. Got juicy. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. The, the, the goose got juicy. <laughs> no. <laughs> calm down. Calm down. Calm down, everyone. I nearly said it and I stopped, but then you went for it. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> what are we talking about? I, I got a bit excited, so I went off on some tangents. What did, what did, what did we capture today, Gabby? We covered the green revolution that is imminently upon us, that is already starting to happen, and that it's basically just the reality of the future in this country and how how the economies are going to change, how it's going to enliven regional areas um, and, and basically the impact on property and how you can think about these kind of projects, how it affects towns even without, like regional towns even without these projects happening as well. Um, yeah, and how it's going to benefit the economy for a lot of these regional towns, um, just on a day-to-day level as well. It's going to really improve kind of livability. So, yeah. Yeah, 100%. So, we talked about the economic megatrend that is transforming the nation. We talked about the huge amount of investment in green energy, energy projects in regional areas. We talked about the population shift to the regions, huge migration initiatives, massive benefits in other industries, and so so much more. And I really think that um, any investor should really listen to this episode, um, particularly if you want to stay ahead of the curve and you want to be successful as we transition to a new and more diversified economy. So uh, I trust that you're going to enjoy this. I'm certain you're going to get a lot out of it. And I'm certain there's going to be some polarizing views in there that you may or may not agree with. And I encourage robust debate. That's what this is all about. So without any further ado, let's get stuck right on in and we'll see you on the inside. <laughs> Hey guys, welcome back to the Investor Lab. Gabby, how are you today? Effervescent. That's good. A little yeah, bit spritzy, um, a bit, bit of, bit of a schwitz. Um, not quite. Not quite a schwitz. A spritz, but <laughs> not a schwitz. I'm a sprite. I'm a sprite. Spritz. All spritz, no schwitz. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, well, I'm going. How are you? <laughs> I'm wonderful, thank you. I'm wonderful. Great to see you. Nice to spend some time with you. I know. We haven't caught up in so long. Yeah, indeed, indeed, indeed. <laughs> Should we get into it? What are we talking about today? What are we talking about today? Oh my God, we're going to talk about something so cool today. We're going to be talking about how the green energy renov- the green energy renovation, the green energy revolution, could be benefiting property investors. I think it's a massive one. I'm super pumped about this. I think it's a huge topic. Huge, epic, huge mega trend. Hashtag mega trend. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you don't like I'm going to try and be cool and use hashtags. Should, yeah, I, do, no, should I throw a game aside? Yeah. Hashtag mega trends. Good. It's going to take right. off. It's good. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, anyway, right. yes. <laughs> okay, Gabby, what do we, all right, should we get into it? Come on. Yeah. All right. So I guess we start with what? what is the story? Like what's going on? What's so exciting that's happening at the moment? Um, obviously, yeah. we're going to talk about how this green revolution and what's going to come up over the next like future decades is going to affect property. But like what is happening now? What, what If people haven't been 
Yeah. Hearing about it. What's happening? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, um, I think it's like let's just take a little step back, right? So the way that the way that property investors should be thinking about how and where to invest should be based around. Uh, economics and stuff like that. You know, there's a reason that some people choose to buy in mining towns and other people choose to not buy in mining towns. There's a reason some people choose to buy in capital cities and choose some people choose not to buy in capital cities. And really what it all comes down down to is what are the underlying economic fundamentals, right? What is what is driving that that growth, right? And so we, we and this is you know we we say it all the time you know it comes down to three things you know lifestyle affordability and jobs or you know replace jobs with economic opportunity or economic impact that's kind of <clears throat> that's kind of what what you really need to look for now you know Australia's gone through a few different you know evolutions in its economic maturity and we've we've often been a resource. Uh, we, you know, we have been a resource-heavy uh, economy and everything from iron ore to coal to all of this kind of stuff. Um, but we're at the cusp of a real massive uh, economic transition, you know, huge. You know, this isn't just a, a splash in the pan or flash in the pan or anything like that. This is this is a, an economic megatrend which is going to completely transform the entire nation, right? And that is that is the transition to, to green energy and the... A, you know the the target to achieve net zero by 2050 right so so what's happening right now is that governments around the world are uh, finally shitting themselves and going oh oh wow hang on a second climate change is real and it's getting away from us and so now there's a big push to achieve net zero by 2050 right so that's the that's the target so what that means is that as a nation we need to be a net zero carbon producer right which is not a not a small not a small task and in order to do that we're going to have to radically transform our our infrastructure, the way we produce energy, um, the way we, you know, are co- co-located, all of this kind of stuff, right? Um, and there's some there's some stats here from Deloitte Access Economics that basically says if climate change goes unchecked, right? So if we do nothing about climate change, then Australia's economy will be six percent smaller and have eight hundred and eighty thousand fewer jobs by 2070. That's a three point four trillion dollar lost opportunity over the next half a century. Um, and to put that in some context, uh, that would that would by twenty if we if we follow that path and do nothing by twenty fifty Australia will experience economic losses on par with COVID every single year for the next thirty years, which would obviously compromise the economic future of of the of our of our country and future generations. Uh, conversely, there's a six hundred eighty billion dollar upside over the next thirty years uh, and the opportunity to create two hundred and fifty thousand dollar uh, two hundred and fifty thousand more jobs. Right, if we actually start moving in this direction. So what that what what that actually means, right, is right now, the government and really actually business business businesses are actually moving in this direction way faster than government is are looking at this opportunity for transition and what that. And so we're going to talk dig into kind of what that means for regional economies, property investors, and all of that kind of stuff. But right now, what this this is what is happening. There's there's a summit that's happening in Glasgow. Um, Scott Morris is going there, and he's going to be saying, right, we're going to do net zero by 2050 businesses are getting involved and everyone's going okay what are we going to do about this now there's a huge amount of committed government spending there's already projects happening there's a whole bunch of stuff going on but it's a massive innovative transformation of our economy and it's i think fundamentally going to change australia as a nation and also as uh, for property investors forever basically that's my view
Mm. Yeah, I think as well, like, there's also, like, there's obviously a, a an obligation in contributing to this movement, right? Because climate change is real and if the the economic aspects of our societies don't yeah. step up, we're not going to to achieve what we need to achieve. But there's also just like a moral um, aspect to it as well. Because if you think about just Australia as a as a piece of land mm. compared to the rest of the world, like there's a huge opportunity of sparse vacant resources that yeah. can be used and better utilised that haven't been utilised. And so I know that there's a lot of projects starting to come to works and have been in the works and are going to keep um, moving forward that mm. are really trying to utilise those resources. Um, and so, you know, there, there there is all of these land that is being underutilised right now and land, as we know, is real estate. Um, and so, yeah, so I think just from a moral perspective as well, it makes sense that Australia gets way more involved in this. Hundred percent. You know, like we're we're in a prime position because of our abundance of natural resources, right? So it's everything from minerals, right, but also to sunshine and um, our our oceans and our mountains and wind, and we are absolutely abundant when it comes to um, resources, right? Now, a lot of people think resources, and they think oil, gas iron ore, right? But resources are anything that you can deploy to achieve an outcome, right? So um, in this case, the, it's going to be a massive transition through to, to, to green energy. And I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be a, a, a really huge impact because as it, as it stands at the moment, um, more than 30% of employed Australians and over 30% of national income sit in industries that are exposed to economic disruption from climate change. And it, and that's kind of what we need to stop, right? So we need to transition from that. And But then it's not about just going, how do we make sure we don't, you know, fail? Like, it's not just avoidance of failure. This is the thing. It's not just like, oh, my God, uh, we might run off a cliff. Quick, let's save ourselves and get to a, basically a neutrality position economically. The interesting thing is that the upside is asymmetrical, right? So it's not just about going, we've got 30% of our uh, economy or jobs and all of that kind of stuff exposed to potential disruption from climate change or risk, right? And that's just in the short term, right? And not to mention the long term. But it's also, it's not just about going, oh, how do we mitigate 30% downside? It, in doing so, there's actually a tremendous upside, like a huge upside. You know, even just thinking small things like farmers and stuff who, naturally uh, are at the behest of, you know, environmental considerations, droughts, floods, all of that kind of stuff. One of the ways that farmers are able to create better income stability and farmers are a huge part of Australia, uh, Australia's economy because, you know, that's where we get all our food from, a massive food exporting country and all of, all of this kind of stuff. Um, one of the ways that they are able to be more economically viable now is through carbon sequestration projects. So they're able to not just not just produce output, but they're able to produce additional revenue streams through things like carbon sequestration projects or reforestation projects and all these other kind of things, which give them the economic stability to continue to operate even through you know economic turbulence, which is really, really important awesome. to the economic stability of our country. So there's all of these different far-reaching factors which are having a major impact. And that's also part of the, like, one of many reasons why 
agricultural land. So there's a huge like agricultural property boom going on in the most massive. It's just bonkers, right? It's, it's it's absolutely going through the roof, partly because of the necessity of food. And we kind of talked about that in previous episodes where we talked about the are we in a housing bubble? You know, as we have more people, we still need a certain amount of land to be able to produce what we need to be able to live. So food, resource, you know, like all of this kind of stuff. So we need the farmland. So that's pushing that's pushing demand for farmland up, um, but also by actually being able to make farms more economically stable, that's driving up the valuation of farms as well. So that's another thing too. So um, just to just to kind of keep things moving, right? So there's kind of like there's kind of a, a, a couple of big things going on, right? So there's there's an economic megatrend which is a green en- green energy. Uh, what what are you laughing about? Hashtag megatrend. Hashtag, hashtag megatrend. Hashtag megatrend. Um, so yeah, there's a, there's well there is it's an economic megatrend. This is this is huge. It's going to transform the world. It's going to transform the nation. Uh, and and there's a huge amount of investment going into those areas. So um, it's already started, right? So what's the interesting thing about where this investment is happening and how it's happening and and what's going on there is that this trend is mostly going to benefit regional areas, right? So in Australia. You know, a country the size of the US, geographically, not in population. You know, we've got a few major cities dotted around the nation, but really, you know, aside from that, most the regional areas te- tend to not get as much uh, focus. But what's happening right now is that there's going to be, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars being pumped into green energy projects. And by nature, <laughs> they're all going to be in regional areas because that's where. That's where that's where the space is. That's where the resources are. They're the areas that need the biggest amount of transition. You know, there's things like the Curry Curry battery plants in the Hunter in the Hunter region. That's the world's largest battery plant that's, that's already being built. You know, there's interestingly as well. Um, so we were reviewing data on suburbs to you know identify the top one percent of suburbs nationwide, and there was a couple of there was a bunch of smaller regional towns which came up in our in our analysis right and when we looked at the data we were like oh my god this is like this is unreal like everything all of our key indicators were just like bing 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 like buy here right now and we were like what is going on like because these are towns that are sort of maybe like ten thousand population or maybe a little less than ten thousand in population that kind of thing so a little smaller than we kind of might normally have have looked at. And these are places like Gunadar and Juni and Leeton, but they're just to name a few. There was actually quite a bunch of them. And then when we started digging in, because we were like, well, what's going on here? Because the data looked almost identical for all of these different satellite regional towns, you know, it looked almost identical and almost identically amazing in every single one of them. The common thread between every single one of them is they all had renewable energy projects uh, and all of them had roughly the same ratio as in like per capita spend. So the size of the project relative to the amount of people in the area. So all of the all of the renewable energy projects were roughly the same size um, and they were either solar or wind projects, right? And so that was the common thread between all of them. And it was like, oh, that's really, that's really interesting um, because what we could see in the data was, was a real uh, economic shift and a demand shift in those locations, right? So... Um, just jump in if I'm kind of running off at the gob, Gabby, and I'm going a little bit too fast on this. <laughs> I just love seeing the photos, particularly of like the solar farms that are coming up, like that these massive projects of just solar panels out like in regional areas. And it's amazing to think of what that's doing for 
both the, the local economy and then the national economy, but then also, yeah, moving, moving towards net zero. So I love yep. seeing those photos. Yeah, totally, totally, right? And so, and there's just more and more and more of that kind of stuff, you know, like even in South Australia, in the Holden factory, in the old Holden factory, like there's another $200, $200 million um, battery plant going in there. There's a, a Twiggy Forest or, you know, as he likes to be called these days, Dr. Andrew Forrest. I think he's dropped the Twiggy, I've, I've noticed in, his, in a lot of the media stuff. But Twiggy Forest has just announced a $1 billion hydrogen, hydrogen equipment factory in Gladstone. Now, Gladstone is an economy, right? Is a, so, and that, that's another location where we look at the data and the data says, great. But then we look at the economic drivers and we're like, it's a little too like fossil fuel or resource uh, resource heavy, you know, in, in terms of, um, you know, mineral resources and stuff. So we've traditionally stayed away from Gladstone. But, and this, I'm not saying, just don't take this as investment advice, but when I saw the announcement of uh, $1 billion hydrogen equipment factory in Gladstone, I was like, oh, okay, that's really interesting because now that actually might create the diversification in that industry of enough waiting, and we need to do further analysis on this, that may create enough diversification to offset the downside risk of any of these other kind of things. And this is what we're going to see transitioning in some of these locations. So Hunter region is a classic example of a region that has been... It's a largely coal uh, area. You know, it's, it's famous for all of its coal mines. Now, that is now at the centre of a green energy revolution, not just the Curry Curry battery plant, but the government has announced, you know, $70 million of, in, of development into green hydrogen hubs in both the Illawarra region and the Hunter region. You know, so there's a bunch of different kind of projects going on here, here that are kind of driving all this kind of, kind of stuff. And then you've got major... Um, business players like Mike Cannon-Brooks from Atlassian, you know, he's he's building a $30 billion, well, not just him, it's him and a bunch of other people are uh, building a, um, uh, it's called the Sun Cable Project, a $30 billion project, um, which is taking basically a cable to run uh, from Australia to Singapore to start exporting our green energy, right? And so one of the, one of the kind of major things is a lot of, is one of the reasons that areas that have existing infrastructure, so power infrastructure and all this kind of stuff, are great locations for um, you know major renewable energy projects. Is because they already have the they already have the infrastructure, like power grid infrastructure. So it's easier to kind of link them up. Mm-hmm. But then you've kind of also got you know satellite distribution of the of the economic uh, opportunity as well. So I think it's I think it's fundamentally fascinating and really really exciting. Yeah. So does this mean? That people should just pretty much be paying attention to <laughs> where these projects are popping up, and then just going and buying there. Surely it's not that straightforward. No, of course it's not that straightforward, <laughs> right? Of course it's not that straightforward. Um, this, like anything, is one part of a broad spectrum mm-hmm. of things that need to be taken into consideration, right? Because if you just invested on the basis of infrastructure projects, or yeah. if you just invested on the basis of, let's say, um, project spend per capita, so like how many dollars of public and private um, spending is going on per, how many people are going in it. And then you'd be buying in places like, you know, Port Hedland or Karatha, which I know a lot of people who have made lots of money investing in places like Port Hedland and Karatha. And if you don't know what those places are, they are regional, um, you know, they're in Northwest and Western Australia, iron ore hubs, you know, FIFO workers, all of that kind of stuff. 
a lot of people have made lots of money because they're the kind of they're the kind of mining towns and stuff where property prices and rents and stuff just go you know skyrocket and then crash right that's the problem and the reason that they skyrocket and crash is because they're not supported by other things like lifestyle and affordability right so you might see that there's a lot of economic opportunity but you've also got to ask are people going to stay there like is that the kind of place that people are going to move to and want to stay there I, I, rather than just go there for work and then when the work stops, leave again. That's what makes mining towns go up and down. It's usually because they don't have a supporting lifestyle factor. That's kind of the thing that that's kind of the thing that make that makes it the sticky. You know, Moranbar in in uh, Queensland is is kind of the same. You know, not a lot of people would choose to live in Moranbar if it wasn't if they didn't weren't working there and stuff like that. So. So these are the kind of considerations. It's not just about can I see a project and should I go do it? It's also looking at a, a variety of other factors. That being said, right, we also, we also need to consider what this actually means for regional, con- regional economies more broadly. So we kind of touched on it yesterday that between uh, – sorry, yesterday, yesterday. I, let, I think I so just – peek behind the curtain we recorded a podcast yesterday the last episode uh in the (laughs) in the last episode uh that we that we uh, recorded so we talked about the fact that in uh, between march 2020 and march 2021 in you know sydney lost you know, that nearly 44,000 uh people through directly through voluntary movements right so uh you know internal and overseas migration and melbourne uh, lost 81,000. right now that kind of uh, departure from the cities, particularly to regional areas, is probably going to continue to happen as the economic distribution is continued to be focused outward, right? So as these projects continue to pop up, and they're going to pop up in more and more regional locations because of the opportunity there. And, be, and you know, like, you, I think what we'll find is that smaller towns are going to receive a huge uplift from these kind of projects right so we're going to have you know it, just in just to kind of put it in context the um the the new south wales government uh is pushing for 80 billion dollars of investment just in you know green energy revolution or green energy transition this is just in new south wales and that's over the next 30 years so that's 2.6 billion dollars a year uh, for 30 years, $2.6 billion a year for 30 years going into regional economies because that's where the projects are going to be, right? That's not even touching the sides of what's going to happen in private business capital. Now, there's record levels of venture capital funding going into, into green technology and green green projects at the moment. Something in the last financial year, there was, I think, seven, to, I'd have to double check, but it was a, I remember it was a, it was a rec- record levels of investment into um, green technologies and green businesses. Uh, and that's going to be start trickling through as well. So, when you've got billions of dollars of liquidity floating out into regional economies, and some of the economies that are quite small are going to st- are going to start to transition, some economies that are already big are going to receive benefit from it as well. I think that's where the opportunity lies is to start looking at that, because on top of on top of the natural transition of people moving to where there are jobs and lifestyle and affordability, right, and the natural economic de- distribution. There's also a massive push from um, the New South. I'm talking about New South Wales in this context, but there's nationally there's there's a there's a push to open up migration. You know, kind of a big Australia policy where they're talking about trying to increase our immigration targets to to two million. Is it two million more people over the next couple of years? I think you know it's mm. it's yeah two yeah so two two million mig two million migrants uh, is what they want to. Uh, is what they want to target over the next five years. So that's 2 million more people just through migration, in, international migration, over the next five years. Now, all of the stuff we've talked about in previous episodes, 
housing shortage, not enough, not enough supply, uh, you know, we can't keep spreading out our towns and cities because we have to keep arable land for farming and production, uh, all of this kind of stuff. That's all going to be playing out, right? So then when you start throwing additional liquidity and additional capital into the economies, and then you start throwing an additional potentially 2 million migrants, well, I'm a, it's not that hard to see what's going to happen to property prices, particularly in regional areas. So I, I have long held the opinion that the Australian property market goes through cyclical phases because that's what it's traditionally done over a long period of time. So typically what has happened, uh, you know, historically has been that there'll be phases where regions will outperform capitals and then there'll be a bit of a swing back to capitals outperforming regions and it kind of goes in these phases. That's oversimplified, but you can kind of see that playing out in the, in the fact that, you know, when Sydney historically when sydney has boomed perth has not gone that well and you know when perth has gone well sydney hasn't gone that well and look at very broad picture kind of economics there but that's typically how it plays out i am of the view that with this major economic trend it's a it's a, it's a huge economic disruption that's going on i think that is going to fundamentally change property economics in Australia forever. I really think that this um, could be the catalyst which is going to drive regional economies uh, to, to let me let me rephrase that. It's going to create better economic distribution and decentralization for the long term. So that means that we're not necessarily going to have economic like economic you know gluts in places like Sydney and Melbourne, that economic opportunity is going to be distribute, distributed more evenly right, across the country, which is going to mean that regional, cent, regional areas are going to, for a period of time, going to play catch up, and then it's going to stabilise. And I really think that it's going to be a, a much more you know, diversified uh, property market ongoing. I, I, think it's, I think it's a really fascinating transition. Because mm, I guess if you think about like places like the US, right? Like land, land-wise, pretty similar size mm. to Australia, yet they're very decentralised as a nation, right? They've got all of their states yeah. and it's a, basically a big grid of all the different cities and, and hubs. Yeah. And so do you see that m- potentially moving forward in Australia, we're going to get more of those development of more regional hubs and centres to, to really decentralise away from the major capitals? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. So part of the part of the situation in the US is obviously population based as well, right? So they've got ten times, well, more than ten times the amount of people than we've got here in Australia, and roughly the same land size. Um, now, what? So what that kind of, you know, there's 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 that piece in there as well, you know, that we don't have as many people. But at the same time, one of the things that I think is going to happen is that kind of decentralisation and and creation of of greater economic nodes and we're already seeing that play out you know like it's not a new thing like we've been talking about the decentralization of 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 the economy for like two and a half years now basically the whole time that you know we've from basically the start of the podcast you know like you can see it in the in the fact that you know government departments are putting their head offices in regional centers you know places like Albury or Geelong or, you know, Tamworth or, you know, all of these kind of satellite places where initially you might think, what is going on here? But it's a deliberate, it's a deliberate effort to decentralize the economy. So if you look at play, if you look in the US, you just look at a place like Texas, right? It's one state, right? And it's got Dallas, Houston, um, Austin, you know, like all of these, um, all of these kind of places and they're all major cities. 
And so what, what I really do think is going to happen is that as Australia's population grows and as the economy continues to diversify and to be de- more decentralised, what is going to happen is, is the greater densification of these satellite hubs. And so what you're going to see is smaller towns or smaller centres which are going to transition into like major, major hubs and major places, you know. What's also going to happen, and in line with what, we, what we've talked about in previous episodes, is about the kind of um, density kind of thing that's going on, right? Because we can't continue to spread out. So the urban sprawl won't necessarily happen in all of these places because it can't. You know, we've got to protect our natural environment and our arable land and all that kind of stuff. So what's going to happen is probably some amount of sprawl and then it'll stop and then densi- density will increase. And so what that will probably mean over the next couple of decades is smaller smaller regional towns and centres are probably going to start to have high-rise apartment blocks and things like this as we need to start you know, increasing the density in those locations. And I really think that what's going to happen is that we'll start from a, from a population centre perspective, start to look more like the US and I and it's not the first time that thought has been had you know there's been conversations for a really long period of time about creating micro city hubs you know distributed evenly between Melbourne and Sydney to try and move some of the people out of there you know there, there was talk about creating a city halfway uh halfway between Sydney and Melbourne but on the on the coastal side you know like yeah there are a bunch of reasons that didn't go ahead, right? But part of it was tied to part of it was tied to train line projects and all this other kind of stuff. So creating additional satellite cities is is the way things are going. And I really think that once you've got when you've got, you know, billions, tens of billions, or even hundreds of billions of uh, dollars of economic opportunity being distributed among regional areas, that's going to be the catalyst that changes it. Changes it. And it's and it's interesting as well because it's not all about just going, oh, uh, yeah, cool. So wind farms and solar farms and battery projects well there's also heaps of other stuff right there's there's green hydrogen projects and everything like that but there's also a direct impact on the mineral sector right because what's required in batteries and new technologies are you know what they call critical minerals and rare earths right so you know australia you know linus rare earths in australia is the largest rare earths producer outside of china right for example but there's also other critical minerals like like um, nickel copper lithium and cobalt and uh, that 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 part of the economy, or the, the prices for those commodities, are set to increase by six times over the next twenty years, right? So that's that's going to be basically worth about another. That industry is going to be worth about seventeen point six trillion dollars, and because Australia is such a natural resource and minerals as well, uh, natural resource economy, we're going to be tapping directly into that. You know, like that industry is set to grow by about fifteen percent a year over the next 20 years it's freaking <laughs> massive freaking huge so this is this is far reaching it's not just like going oh okay great so all right what's happening is a bunch of people are going to go and build a bunch of windmills it's like no 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 this is a fundamental shift in how australia as a country is going to make money it's a fundamental shift in how australians are going to be employed and how we're going to be distributed by choice across the nation. It's going to be a fundamental shift in where the economic hubs lie, what regions become wealthy regions. And yeah, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's, yeah, I've said it, I've said it enough times, but I think it's, a, it's, it's huge. I'm yeah. really excited in case you can't tell. Yeah. It's so exciting. Yep. Yeah. What do you think, Gabby? Do you, have we kind of missed, have you got any questions around this or what are you, what are your thoughts? Um, no, I was just also thinking about like ancillary industries um, mm. and how 
like there's gonna there's gonna be work and projects involved in bringing ancillary industries up to scratch as well in terms of yeah. their their production. So like manufacturing industries, transportation, like actually transitioning them to a more green, sustainable mm. model as well. Like that's their projects in themselves as well. So it's like once it catches on that this is how this is going, mm. there's going to be those ancillary projects that come up in transitioning existing industries into a more renewable model as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I think, yeah, and, and you're 100% right. And so some you've got to also, you can't just, I would encourage people not just to look for wind farms, right? Mm-hmm. Look at look at what ha- what is happening around that. So, so an example is like the inland rail project. Now, the inland rail project in and of itself is a huge economic project. What that is going to do, though, is open up the central, like central um, Victoria, central New South Wales, and and you know uh, south southwest Queensland. Right, it's going to open up those those parts of the country to better links to major capitals. So what that is going to do is increase the opportunity for trade and commerce. Then also, if you combine additional um, projects like renewable energies projects or any kind of transition economy projects in those areas, then then there's going to be things like, okay, well, transport, infrastructure, logistics, um, hospitality, um, you know, gentrifying economies, you know, look out for when you start to see wine bars popping up in places like Gunnadar and things like that, you know, that's that's going to start happening, you know, like, you know, Orange is a really great case of a tiny, tiny little country town, which has now become super boutique and everyone, you know, loves going there because, oh my God, it's just so cute. And, you know, there's cafes and all this <laughs> kind of stuff. You know, Orange, for crying out loud, Orange, right? This is, this, this is, this is the same kind of thing that's going to have to start happening all across the country, right? And I think that what is also going to happen is some of the places which have been traditionally a little... Um, left out to dry or maybe seemed a little less desirable, I think there's going to be massive effort in gentrification projects in those areas. You know, like I've been keeping an eye on places like um, Geraldton and Exmouth in Western Australia, which normally would not be on an investor's roadmap, right? And just to be frank and just to be clear, we're currently not buying in those locations, but I'm watching those economies because what is happening right there is they are major, they are actually major population centres and they're actually starting to develop economies that are centered around things like, you know, uh, natural resources, things like tourism, you know, I'm watching, I'm watching, you know, large companies buy shopping centers in those areas and, you know, watch where the money goes. That's usually, that's usually a really good sign. And so when you see, when you, so when you see a major company buy a shopping center, you start to go, okay, why is somebody spending, you know, $75 million in that, in that economy? What, what that's the kind of stuff you need to start paying attention to. And so I think, I really think that, you know, some of the, some of the places which even we as, as either in our business have said, look, everything looks good, but I think maybe that town's just a little small or yeah, not sure. Maybe it just doesn't quite make the grade. I think we're going to need to reassess. And on a personal level, I'm going to be, I per- personally, I'm really excited to start investing into some smaller locations because the transition is going to be so big. You know, when you've, when you're actually coming off a lower base and you've got a lot of catch up to play, you know, if the media, if the median house price is, you know, bloody near a million bucks right now, and then you're buying in a location where the median house price is $300,000, equilibrium must happen at some point, right? And as long as there's 
economic fundamentals to support that and you're not buying just because the prices are cheap, right? Um, if there's economic fundamentals to support that, what you're going to probably find is that transition is going to be a bit of a slingshot effect as the distribution model happens where people start to move out to these places. And that's actually what we're already seeing start to happen, right? We're, this is not a theory, right? There, that is actually happening right, right now. Right now, that is happening. Uh, and I think the investors that are, that are prepared to take a leap in a new direction and start to think outside the box and start to think in an innovative way that is going to be, you know, that is in line with a fast moving transitory economy. They're the ones that are going to make the biggest gains. Like that's where the money is going to be made. Where people are probably going to struggle is if they continue to do this, do the things they've always done or followed old ways of thinking and, and the kind of traditional model. And it's really interesting as well. I know I'm running off at the gob a little bit here, but I've always <laughs> got a lot to say. Yeah. Um, Interestingly as well, like I think most people would be aware that Sydney's property market is booming. In fact, just to be super clear, Sydney's premium property market is booming. That's where the biggest gains are being had. But I was actually reading some really interesting um, stats around like the top end of the market and people are getting super excited and they're looking at it as validation that they should be buying in places, you know, where the median price is above $2 million and all of this kind of stuff. Right. And it's actually the most volatile market segment. And I was uh, reading an actual, I was reading an article um, uh, by Narita Connersby, who's for- formerly, uh, formerly REA groups, chief economist, I think it was, or core logics. I can't remember. But she's, yeah, she's she's very she's very good. She's very smart. She now actually works for Ray White as their chief economist. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I wish to try and get her on the show actually. Um, but yeah, so she was actually there was a big article where she was talking about those gains, but also highlighting the fact that it's the most volatile market segment. And so what tends to happen because because it's not driven by underlying economic fundamentals, it's driven by opportunistic um, market conditions it sort of might go up and then it might go down or it might go up and it might stagnate, right? And I think, I really think that what is happening is a rebalancing of our economy and, and a, into a better distribution model. And that's that's why we're going to see regional centres start to catch up and find equilibrium and it's all going to start to, to even out. Cool. You're so excited. It's awesome. Yeah, I think it's <laughs> wicked. Like, I get excited. I get excited when I can see a clear opportunity. Opportunity, yeah. Yeah, I get super excited when I can see a clear opportunity. And, and to me, this is clear as day. Like I, I'm just, it, what, where I think most investors go wrong is they don't zoom out far enough, right? Mm-hmm. So I like to read a lot about business and economics and in see, I don't read a lot about property, right? But what I try and, what I try and read about is what is, like, what is the real game that is being played? Like where are the big shifts, what's really going on. And then that allows me to shape and form opinions about a macro kind of situation. What most property investors do is they try and try and go, what market is hot right now? What suburb should I buy in? Rather than going, how are we all going to live in the future? Yeah, what's the huge, the mega trends. Yeah, where, where are we all going to be? How are we going to live? Uh, where is the value going to be created? Like, and looking for those economic, oh, sorry, those opportunistic, you know, shots where you can just get a hole in one or uh, that's what excites me. And I think it's, I think it's, yeah, I'm, I'm super excited because I think about all of these, I think about all of these towns and these regions that are going to undergo 
fundamental transformations and it'll be a great thing it'll be a great 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 thing you know i grew up in a small country town and in a regional area grew up in latrobe valley grew up in a tiny country town you know small enough that most people knew everyone's first name sort of thing right uh and i think about those kind of places which are going to which in fact i have already started to fundamentally transform right uh, i remember when there was cafes and stuff in places like terrelgan and it was like oh my god there's a cafe they serve cappuccinos i remember i remember i remember that transition you know like and then and then and then oh my god i remember the first cocktail bar that opened up there and it was like oh my god this is so fancy we have a cocktail bar in terrelgan now and you know seeing that kind of stuff play out now these are micro anecdotal kind of things but seeing that kind of stuff play out and how that changes people's uh view on their own location and how they feel and pride and you know when people know that there's change and growth and all of this stuff it's awesome and and the economic impact that has on the people there and the opportunity that is created in those locations i i think it's so so cool and i just think about all these tiny little sleepy country towns that are about to become these vibrant beautiful economies and people are going to be traveling there to go oh my god i'm going to go to the i don't know warwick fish and chip shop because i've heard it's really you know like whatever all these different things yeah i think it's i think it's so so cool and yeah and i really encourage i really encourage property investors to to wake up and look at what's going on and I think I really. I think the big message is everyone should probably start investing in smaller towns. To be honest, right? Just to just to go out on a limb might be a little bit might be a little bit of a polarizing view, but I think there's there's a lot to be gained there because they're not going to be small for very much longer. So anyway, cool. great. Well, I think this is a good episode, Gabby. What do you reckon? I agree. All right. Well, guys, I hope you've enjoyed it too. I'd love to get your feedback, um, your thoughts, your comments. Remember. Don't invest without getting good advice. A lot of the stuff we've talked about on this episode, if you just take it without understanding the rest of the macro picture and how to pick the right properties in the right place at the right time, you could still go wrong. So just slow down, get expert advice. If you want any expert advice, feel free to reach out to us direct. Just head to dashdot.com.au forward slash discovery, book in a 15 minute call with our team, get some free guidance and advice. We'll help steer you in the right direction, help you set you up for success. If it feels like a good fit, we can talk about working together, but there's no obligation. Don't worry about that. Feel free to reach out and just get in touch. That's dashdot.com.au forward slash discovery. And if you've liked this episode, if you've liked this topic, if you like this kind of insights and ideas, then shoot us an email, let us know. Hello at dashdot.com. .au. Gabby and I check that email personally, so you'll get in touch with us. That'd be <laughs> awesome. Uh, and without any further ado, let's wrap it right up. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Stay powerful. See you soon.